2: Hello and welcome to the Game Football Podcast from The Times. Today, Mohamed Salah and Phil Foden light up an exceptional game between Manchester City and Liverpool at Anfield. Leicester City need answers very quickly after a poor start to the season. Crystal Palace move in a new direction as do Watford with the first managerial sacking of the Premier League season. This is The Game. Welcome back to The Game Podcast. I am Hugh Wozencroft. Loads for us to get through after another busy weekend of Premier League football. Joining me for it all, are Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, and for the first half of the podcast, Paul Hurst. How are you all? Good, Hugh. Yeah. I know Alison hates that. Alison, I'm going to start with you. Straight into it. You had, you had a pretty good game to go to at the London Stadium and a shock result as well. Brentford beating West Ham in the final moments.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, this is... My job is a job, you know, you go to work and you write very fast so you can send a report for the digital edition and then you interview the managers and you rewrite and it's it's a job, but it was a blooming joy, I tell you. I mean, it was just fantastic. It was action all the way through, not many mistakes really. It was all about two teams trying to find a way to to win I said to Thomas Frank, "What's it like being everybody's favourite second team?" And he laughed and he said, "I know, I know, we're a great story, but yeah, I know it can disappear in a flash. But it's—he's embracing it. The players are embracing it. It's—it's just fantastic. And I say this all the time: you should never, ever write sport as fiction. And I really don't know why people keep trying to break that, (laughs) break into that genre because it shouldn't exist. Because this was." This was it. This was, you know, a bit deep. They, the added time, was supposed to be over. And Brentford, Brentford get um, a very, very, very late winner when in the second half, West Ham had been on top. And everyone around me was writing, well, a draw does seem a fair result, given the first half belonged to Brentford and the second half belonged to West Ham. Unbelievably good fun. And they are the story of the season. It's amazing.
2: Gregor, what about you? Where were you this weekend?
3: Uh, Barnsley versus Millwall really all the kind of superlatives I'm using there I could not come anywhere close to using <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> there was an 89th minute winner from Millwall from a, a set piece We would surprised to learn but it was drab it was as drab as the weather Barnsley you know Barnsley we spoke quite a lot last season about their story and their their vertical football and the, you know charge the playoffs which was a great story and really sad that Barnsley's fans their best season in more than two decades they were locked out for and now they come back and they're being treated to this. They've won one game in 11. The natives are a bit restless. The new manager, obviously Ishmael's gone to West Brom, so the new manager, Marcus Schopp, is under pressure already. So back to earth with a bump for Barnsley.
0: Gregor, I think what you're saying is they've gone from vertical football to flatlining, haven't they?
3: I should have used Alison. That, That's why. You,
1: uh,
3: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know.
0: <laughs> That's
2: why she gets the big bucks. That's I'll why get she gets the big there, yeah. bucks. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, listen, Hersty, I'll come to you next because we've gone from the sublime to the appalling, probably back to the sublime as well, because you went to an incredibly entertaining match at Anfield, Manchester City coming from behind twice to draw to all with Liverpool But the the icing on the cake, the one that's got everyone talking, is Mohamed Salah's performance. A goal and and an assist, but a magnificent goal as well. Um, Seven games in a row in all competitions he has scored. The first one laid it on for, for Sadio Mane. The second was just an incredible solo run and finish. Although I'll talk about City's defending in a moment. But I think the important thing, and lots of people saying it after the game as well, it was just a fantastic match between two of the top sides in the league.
4: Yeah, and it was it was sublime. I think sometimes in this job you become a bit desensitized to football. You know, you go and you view it as as your job or whatever. Uh, but I was just sat there, you know, yesterday as, you know, a, a football fan loving it because see, it was just a, a really unpredictable game and I turned to my colleague Paul Joyce at half time and said, "Yeah, this is this has got nil nil written all over. it. Absolutely no way anyone's going to score here." <laughs> <laughs> that shows you exactly what I know about football because it was uh, ended up being two two, and the second half in particular was just a, you know a really thrilling game, and I just think it showed why these two teams to me are the, are the best in, in the country at the moment. Well, they certainly put on the best kind of spectacle, that's for sure.
2: I'm amazed you thought it was going to be goalless because <laughs> you know even in the Sky Studio, Jamie Carragher was shouting just get to just get to half time. I, I, I thought Manchester City were dominant and. I'll, I'll say it again. If they had a centre-forward, they they definitely would have been in front in the first half. Yeah, well, that was the problem, wasn't it? You, you look at
4: all those chances. De Bruyne has had a uh, Ford and had a couple as well, especially after that one with Bernardo Silva. He managed to run past about 14 Liverpool players, I think it was. It was a, a fantastic little run. But, yeah, they just didn't look like scoring. So that was my... <laughs> that was, I'm trying to defend the indefensible here. But, um, yeah, that was my rationale, basically, that City didn't look like scoring. And... The Laporte and Diaz, well, Laporte in particular, I thought had an excellent first half. And before yesterday, they'd not conceded a goal in the Premier League um, this season when they started those two. So City looked pretty solid, but then, you know, the second half was, you know, just a completely different story, wasn't it?
0: Or point you about, I mean, and it'll probably be the catchphrase of the season, won't it, if only City had a centre forward? And it's almost like pointless to keep saying it. We know they haven't got an out and out centre forward. But Foden's goal, had to be centimetre perfect when he scored it, and it was. So you sort of think, well, that's a sort of supernatural goal. And then the second goal was another deflected goal. They are, I mean, that could, (laughs) and a kind of freaky one at that, and they scored a slightly freaky deflected goal against Chelsea. I mean, it, it is more a worry than you're even stating there, Hugh, about the lack of a centre forward. I mean, Paul, would you agree that, that, that what you had was one um, remarkable goal and one deflected goal. So the, the problems are still – problems of being unable to score are still problems, even though they score twice.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's one that I kind of like sort of think about on a daily basis, really, this kind of this <laughs> idea. It shows how, how sad my life is, basically. But, um, you know, it, it – in some games, I'd say you know, in, in sort of two thirds, three quarters of the games, it's not a problem because they've got so many different goal scorers. They got four, there's fourteen different players who scored for City this season, that you know someone will score because some you know they do have a lot of good finishes in the team. You know, like you said, the, the Foden goal was you know a fantastic finish, wasn't it? Right in the corner. Um, so, but you're only going to get a, a limited number of chances in, in the biggest games. So sometimes you think, right, if Kane was in the box or you know, someone of his kind of ilk, then then they would score a lot more goals. And I think their shot conversion rate is, is pretty poor this season. I think it's uh, down at 10% or something like that. So it's it's not, you know, that shows you how, you know, how many chances they're missing at the moment. So, yeah, it's, it is, you know, it is going to be a problem for them this season, but they, you know, they, they always find a way or they always seem to find a way. And, you know, let's let's not forget, they've, they've not had a striker for the last 18 months it wasn't just last season, you know, where they didn't have Aguero. He was, you know, six months before as well. He was always injured then or, um, you know, wasn't in, in, in decent nick. So it's something that they already know how to, you know, to play with. Yeah, that, that's, that's the way that they play now. That is their default setting. So they've kind of become used to it.
3: I think the thing that's bringing it home is that trademark City goal the kind of the you know the the build-up play and the roll the ball across the six-yard box there's been quite a few instances where that happens and there's just there's just no one there (laughs) so it's like oh heck you know that some you know Alan Shearer was saying in match of the day that some people get 40 goals you think 40 goals you know an amount of balls that go across like that you you may be right but you know there is the counterpoint about they're really playing with four or five like number 10 type players. And obviously you'd be one down and the way that they build up play, it has to be a specific type of center forward. That's why we all thought Aguero would never really fit in and work for, for City in the early days. And he had to change his game and he played. And, you know, obviously he, he did work, but that's why, you know, it has to be someone like Kane who can drop in and link the play and stuff. It can't just be a target man. So, you know, if they're not, if the right, the right player wasn't there or, or available to get, you know, Guardiola obviously feels that this is a better, better option for them.
2: They didn't need the right player. They need a striker, someone with goal scoring instincts. They don't need Harry Kane. I mean, I'm not let's be realistic here. A striker, a Premier League quality striker, would be scoring a number of goals in this Manchester City team. I mean, that's the reality. They didn't need up. I mean, they 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 of course want a hundred and fifty million pound striker because that will win you the biggest trophies, they believe, and most teams do believe, looking at the money that they spend. But I think currently, on what we've seen from Manchester City this season, a Danny Ings would be scoring goals in this team. I mean, a Tammy Abraham would be scoring goals in this team. Get yourself into the six-yard box and, Gregor, you'll be scoring goals in this team.
3: <laughs> Let's not push it too far, you know. Like You're probably right, but uh, neither of those players you're naming, you're not going to see Manchester City go out and buy them. That's just the truth. No, I,
2: I, I, I think it was a massive mistake not to get a genuine striker. Like, we, 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 we have... We have insulted other clubs for dragging out transfer sagas, you know, taking ages to sign a player that they want for no apparent reason. If you can't get your first target, go and get your second target. Yeah, Manchester City seem to get no criticism for stringing out the Harry Kane thing and having that much money available for a striker. I think they offered in excess of, what, 90 million? And to come back with nobody, you know, it's just, all right, they might not be a Manchester City quality player, but at this point in time, you, you know my views on it. We've spoken about it before. Either play Gabriel Jesus down the middle because he's got some of those instincts, and I think he would be scoring those six yard box tap ins, or get get your second choice or your third choice striker if your first choice and second choice aren't going to come to the club. I think that's the theory of most football clubs. I agree
4: with you to a certain extent, but Pep's never really had uh, you know a fox in the box, has he? You know, he's if 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 he wanted a man just to sit in the six yard box, he would have kept um and Nacho, wouldn't he? I mean, he does. He wants players who do drop deep and link play and become part of the the setup. So I, I don't. That's why he didn't, you know, go for someone like Danny Ings. He just wanted, you know, he, he wanted Kane or or Haaland or nobody else. Basically, you've got to be of a certain standard to, to fit into that to that team. So you know, bringing in a, a stopgap guy, is just not really their style. You know, I, I don't think Danny Ings is as much as a good finisher. He is. I, I, I just don't think he would have been. Up to that kind of level for for City when it comes to the other parts of the play, you know, the linking up play, etc. So that's I think that was the basic reason why they didn't go for the, you know, for a, a backup option when they didn't get Kane.
2: So Alison, City dominated large parts of the first half in that game. We've reflected on what they left out there, but w- what did Liverpool leave out there for you? How did they play?
0: Badly in the first half, obviously not on purpose. I suspect it was one of those um, get to grips of the occasion try and be solid first half that sometimes you might go for as an option <laughs> against City because uh, you can lose against you can just lose the match against City in, in a 10-minute in spell and never get it back so the best you can say about Liverpool's first half performance was that they were just trying not to make too many mistakes anyway it was uninspiring and uh, dull and the whole world who tuned in were thinking well what was the point of this then And then the second half, it just all came to life. Every single Liverpool player seemed to go up a gear. I have no, I've just noticed that Ian Whittle, who did the match ratings for the Times, gave James Milner a four. I would have given him a nine. That's strange, but. um,
2: the- <laughs> I'm giving it in too. <laughs> what are you talking about, Alison? This I is mean, perspective. Go phone this is
0: perspective. This is this is this is the hero that is James Milner. This is, this is, this is is James Milner. He played in <laughs> against Manchester. Shouldn't have lasted Manchester. like an hour <laughs> against Manchester City when he's like you know 52. It's like. Bless him! He gave everything, absolutely everything, and yeah, yeah, he could have got sent off. But you know, he's a clever, oh, player, whoa, a clever whoa, whoa. player,
2: and should have should have got sent off. Now, come didn't. on!
0: How clever At is that? Once. That's worth <laughs> two points alone in the in the ratings, isn't it? But even James Milner just felt, you know, he went into battle mode, and um, so each player had their their particular thing that they did better. So with Milner it was just he became more battling and yeah maybe he was close to the edge, but I'd give him points for that, not take them off. And then you get someone like Mo Salah who went into um, I think I'd call it ownership mode. This is my stage. I am one of the world's greatest players. I can run at any any defense, any team, no matter what they've won, no matter what their reputation. And it was I think that is the remarkable thing about a player like him is that most, it's what sets them apart, isn't it? That it's a big stage, you know, it's going to be tight and yet you throw off all the shackles when it's supposed to be the toughest, toughest time. He becomes—he makes it look like he's playing against a team of eight-year-olds. So that was an absolute joy to watch. I mean, it's probably going to be goal of the season, isn't it? Probably. It's certainly going to be goal of October. So that was an amazing, amazing run. And, uh, and what you sometimes get with Liverpool and the City is that they feed off each other. So you get the spark of genius from one team and then the opposition lift theirs as well. And, um, I, you know, I very reluctantly have to say the draw was Probably fair, but I the deflected goal thing means I don't I don't really believe that. Oh, you
2: think Liverpool deserve you think that means Liverpool deserve to win, do you?
0: Probably on balance, oh, I do. do you? Yes. Yeah, I know it's a <laughs>
3: <surprise. laughs> I mean Salah didn't even believe that, Alison. <laughs>
2: he admitted as
3: much afterwards. It's like I wish I didn't have to see it, but yeah, I mean I'd draw it's fair.
2: Yeah, Alison had a pretty good game. Let's call it that, shall we? I mean Alison <laughs> the goalkeeper, that is Alison Becker. Um, without him, I think Liverpool would have been at least two down at half time. I think on the balance of play, I think I think you've got to say City deserve to win. But I think we've spoken about their problems before. I think Mohamed Salah was just w- without him, Liverpool definitely lose that game. Um, the first goal, he skips past Raul Cancelo, who was already on a yellow. Who really, if Salah went down and fancied going down, he would have been off as well. Awful piece of defending. Don't know what he was doing trying to like tackle with his reverse foot behind him, but um, body was in the wrong position. And as great as Salah's goal was, I mean, you could have prevented that Manchester City as well. I don't know where Bernardo Silva's going. What do you mean? He was tobogganing through Anfield. He just (laughs) sat himself down. Amrit Laporte is a left-footed centre-back. He manages to get spun in the penalty area and show Mohamed Salah Uh, the back of his shirt. Come on. You've got to show Salah onto his right foot. That's, uh, funnily enough, Laporte's good left foot as well. And yet somehow he sold, I mean... Do
3: you think if it was that easy, then, you know, like we're talking about an international defender, Laporte, one of the best in the the Premier League.
2: Poor. Where's John Stones? The
3: the speed he runs. Unbelievable. The speed speed he kind of pivots and twists and turns. When he cut cut inside his left foot, Laporte has to shift his whole body to turn right to try and get a block and he's already cutting back the other way
2: no no in fairness I'm being I'm being harsh to Laporte deliberately being um, harsh to Laporte Silva
3: yeah I mean no no no, to be honest
2: the reason the reason that Laporte can't commit either way is because Rodri hasn't come to cover the, the inside part of the pitch when Salah goes onto his left foot Laporte has to go there because there's no midfield cover coming. So he could have had a shot on his left foot. He could have gone on his right foot. Laporte is in no man's land and it ends up being a brilliant goal. But um, he needed Ugh. help for sure in that moment. He needed help. Um, but the finish, the finish, by the way, brilliant. So, it was like you know.
3: vintage, vintage, vintage Salah. And that's a kind of goal that will live, live long in the memory. It was a remarkable finish. I think the first one, though. You know, you, you say about when he skipped past Scantelli, you have to remember that, I think Matip cleared it down the line and Salah was the one who ran and met it and kind of played a little, like a half one, I think it was a one-two with Fabinho. So he, even before it, he created that from absolutely nothing. It was just a ball down the channel. He, what he got to it first, skipped, as you say, skipped past Scantelli. And it was one of, I think it was like a second or third touch where it was just the perfect weight. It completely took out, I think it was Silva who was who was trying to run back alongside him. But it was you know, it didn't quite draw out uh, Laporte. And then the the run from from uh, from Mane was just was brilliant. The way he ran across the front
2: and Jota's too to create the space for Mane, brilliant from the, all three. Really,
3: there really very little you can I think you can see other than that's just like world class play. And
0: therefore, ergo, Liverpool deserved to win. How can you gush like that and then say the team that got a deflected goal deserved to win it?
3: Because they should have been down to 10 men. They should have been two or three down at halftime. Should have, should have, should have. have.
0: don't matter. What you actually saw was genius. So you actually <laughs> saw genius and didn't That's actually true. see any, any sendings
2: all. Hursty, talk to me about James Milner, though. You know, nine out of ten James Milner we're talking about here. Um, <laughs> he was amazing. Amazing as in amazing he didn't get sent off. Um, what was Paul Tierney, the referee, thinking after that foul on Bernardo Silva? Before James Milner cleverly promptly got replaced by Joe Gomez.
4: Yeah, I, I don't know. He should have gone for that. And I've, I've, you know, Peps, obviously a very animated character, isn't he on sidelines normally? But he, you know that sent him to a new level of uh, anger. Basically, he was you know marching up and down, shouting at Mike Dean, you know, and then Paul Tina came over and booked him, which. Uh, which I found quite funny, um, just because he was still irate when he was being booked, he just was having none of it. Basically,
3: Mike Dean's face as well. And- <laughs> <laughs> it's a real <laughs> meeting of minds, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean. <laughs> what was the listening? Yeah. Uh,
4: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was just something. It was like a, a school teacher, like, and a kid who was, you know, was annoyed that he was he had been sent for detention, and Mike Dean just was having none of it. It was like just you know, get back, sit, stand over there. So, but yeah, no, it was. He, he should have been sent off. I can see why Pep was so. Um, uh, so annoyed at that, you know the incident in the first half where Milner took out Ford, and I mean you could argue that was a red as well, couldn't you? So I agree with Ian on on the the marks thing. I, I just, you know, I, I wrote in my piece this morning on Ford, and that it was like Bale against Mykon, you know, that famous night when when Gareth <laughs> Bale just um, destroyed Mykon's reputation. And maybe that's a bit harsh on Milner because he's knocking on a bit and he's not right back, is he? But it was a complete mismatch, and I just thought Forden was was electric. And that's what and makes
0: it. it heroic, honestly.
4: Well you said you said battle mode. I, I call it kicking mode. Um, that's, <laughs> that's, <laughs>
0: You have to do what you have to do. Honestly, I know exactly. I know I'm coming. A, I know I'm coming across <laughs> a smidgen biased here, but he was asked to do a job and he did the yeah. absolute best he could do, and he was not sent off. And I think he'll have woken up this morning and felt he did it was a job well done. He did what he'll he be did in pain this team. morning.
2: I'll be honest. He's ringing the masseuse yeah. already because Ice um, for a day yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Phil Foden uh, joint man of the match performance, by the way. Phil Foden and Mohamed Salah. So um, what's that all about? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't know. You know, well, look. Let's be honest. A mate did message me straight away. Said, "What's this all about? Joint man of the match? It's ridiculous." And I was like, "How many times have they chosen a man of the match just because they want to interview him because they've been in the news midweek or whatever?" You know, like I, I don't think Sky particularly take man of the match as seriously as the fans do. To be perfectly honest, so I'm not even going to hammer them for that. You know, they both deserved it as well. I think. But I did want to finally ask you on this point: which team is better placed in the title race right now? Liverpool, um, the only unbeaten Premier League side left. They're unbeaten in 19 games in all competitions right now. Manchester City, of course, the depth of squad, I think, might be the, the key to their success. Hursty, I want to ask you uh, uh, this one: who, who do you think is better placed then? I think City
4: just about because they've had, um, you know, they've had Liverpool away, they played Chelsea away, uh, and they you know, they played Spurs as well. But uh, back when they were good at the start of the season, which seems a long time ago now, I just think this week's been pivotal for. For City, I know they lost uh, against PSG, but you know that performance was was pretty good in in Paris. Um, and to have not lost either, either of these games against Chelsea and Liverpool, um, you know, set some, uh, you know, put something good steadily. I think they they're just sort of finding their gear a little bit now. Pep was complaining at the start of the season that did they didn't have all their players, you know, there for the first game of the season, or they just returned to pre season training. But now they look as if they're getting into their uh, you know their stride a little bit, so I would say just uh, City just ahead of uh, Liverpool in in my reckoning at the moment.
3: I like Bill's stat in the in the game today that the first time since nineteen eighty four has fused two points to separated the top six clubs in the table after seven rounds of matches. So it is I think as well in the euphoria of like the the second half of that game yesterday, everyone was seem to completely discount Chelsea I mean I still I still think Chelsea are going to be going toe to toe with both of these I, mean, I just really hope that this is going to last that it's going to be a proper title race and at the moment I don't see why it isn't because as we say there is you know as as, as brilliant as these two teams are and have been for the last few years and as much as Chelsea have come on you know under Tuchel there is kind of little kinks in the armor that you've seen from all of them so far already this season I think it's going to be very tight personally I've If you're talking about these two teams, I'm with Hursty. I think City just partly because of the depth they have in their squad, which is different to Liverpool, and partly just because I always think that the team who who dominate games in the way that City do over a period of a season will have more success.
2: Alison?
0: I think that's called a pregnant pause. Um,
2: <laughs> uh, what a way to break the news to the game, isn't it? That's
4: <laughs> all <laughs> the new rules for in the
2: house.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, just talking about Liverpool and, and City. I think I think I'd be a foolish to claim that it, City don't just inch it. Actually, I'm a bit concerned. Liverpool have now dropped points against Brentford, Chelsea, and City. That's how I see it. And I, before this game, I felt. I felt Liverpool really needed to win to to beat City to sort of just show that that was a blip, the dropping of those points. You can't just keep on dropping points at home and you can't drop points away to a newly promoted team, no matter how fond I am of Brentford. So um, I think Liverpool are the more entertaining of the two teams. I think most neutrals would enjoy what Liverpool gave in the second half over what City gave. Nothing wrong with the way City play at all, but it's, I just think there's something more flamboyant and exciting and thrilling about Liverpool. But um, yeah, yeah, when you talk about relentlessness and depth of squad and that winning mentality, uh, City just edge it, I'm
2: afraid. I think it's going to be a fantastic title race. Uh, loads for us to look forward to, right to mention Chelsea as well. The good news is no one mentioned Manchester United because they look like they're (laughs) going to be a level below. We're going to talk about them next, but Paul Hurst, I think we've kept you long enough. Thank you for joining us on the Game Podcast to reflect on that game at Anfield. See you guys. See you later. So Manchester United dropping more points at home at the weekend. Everton came from behind to earn themselves a one-all draw, and it really could have been more. Same old for Manchester United, like I say. So uh, if you want our views on them in general, listen to the last episode of the game podcast um, and the one before that as well. To be frank. Let's talk about Everton today instead, because they have made an excellent start to the season. 14 points from seven games is in fact their best start since the 2004-05 season when they ended up finishing in the top four. Uh, Gregor, what do you think the key to their draw was away at Manchester United?
3: I just think the kind of new found resilience that that uh, Rafa seems to have imbued in this team. Um, but also, y- you just can't look beyond the impact of, of Townsend and Gray. It's been remarkable. You know, the, the, in the kind of preview podcast, I remember saying that... I've, I hold my hands up to this saying you know this is the kind of pool that Everton are fishing in just now and they've got you know worries about financial fair play and you know they really can't spend much money Uh Townsend I knew obviously knew him from Newcastle but you know it didn't seem like a marquee sign and grey question marks about him but it just seems to have worked so brilliantly so far Townsend, you know both both players have something to prove and that can be quite powerful. I think we're seeing that, and we saw it in the in their in their goal, what a break! It was it was electric. Obviously, Fred had had uh, you know you could could point the finger
2: at him a little bit, but graded. Tactical foul is what he needed. You know, Manchester City and Liverpool, Chelsea as well. You know, a little toe in from Aspalakweta or Fabinho. You can see it happening there. You just think, Fred, this is it, mate. Clear him out. You know, in the in the safest possible way. And even Victor Lindelof, after that point in time, you know, someone's got to make the tackle. Bit naive from United.
3: Yeah, but I, I again, would have to look at, you know, the positives there. And I think, yes, I think Fred could have done that. But once Gray's got the ball, it's brilliantly worked. The way, you know, the kind of composure that the players had at really high speed. Dukuri as well, when he collected it and cut back, you know, in one kind of movement, that was really, really, really skillful. And Townsend, Finished it clinically and loved the celebration as well. And he's kind of explanation <laughs> for <it>
2: afterwards—that <laughs> was top trolling, really. Exactly, he did. He did Ronaldo's celebration, so everyone thought he was trolling. Then said afterwards, "I grew up, wanted to re- wanting to replicate him." Um, you know, always tried his tricks on the training ground and stuff. He's only, I think, six years younger. So then about growing up as a kid. I mean, he was already in a Premier League academy by that point, I'm sure. But I know what he means by that. But then he ended up getting Ronaldo's shirt at the end of the game as well. So it was all, you know, all hugs and smiles from that perspective. But he does typify, for me, Andros Townsend, Damari Gray as well, a sense of positivity that has come into the club in this summer. Rafa Benitez too. And not just in terms of of attitude and outlook, but in terms of, of play. Abdoulaye Dekore has always had it, I think from his Watford days to his Everton days as well. Thinking forward, passing forward, driving the ball into the box, you know, that real sense of, of urgency to try and get on the score sheet um, instead of, you know, what Carlo left- loss he had, which was actually probably more controlled possession and build-up play. I think Everton just being a bit more direct has helped, Alison.
0: Oh, definitely. It was interesting afterwards, Fernandez said, oh, you know, that, something's not working at United. We're conceding too many counter attacks as if this is a inherent United problem, but that's um, slightly insulting to Everton who did look throughout capable of just spotting that 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 window of opportunity and going for it. And that's good coaching. When you you know what you're about, you embrace the speed you've got. And this game showed me one thing actually, I knew Damari Gray was fast. I didn't realize his strength. It wasn't just that he, there was no tactical foul. He shrugged off the attention he was given in the build-up to that goal and came through. You know, you, 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 he looks like someone who might be easy to, you know, knock off the ball, but he showed absolute commitment and um, a strength I didn't know he had. So, you know, this is this is all down to um, a manager telling the player the right things about his belief in him and probably identifying that someone like Damari Gray, you know, in the modern game, they can just become, oh, uh, you know, uh, a super sub, someone you feel um, doesn't have the tactical now to be on the pitch the whole game. And you sort of just narrowly identify them as a bit of pace when you need it. And instead, Rafa has said, no, I think you've got the all-round game. It's not just your pace. I think I think you've got football intelligence. I think you've got more strength than you know. And you're part of this team that's what a clever manager does um so i they do look like they're working together Um, i think under ancelotti although he's a revered manager there was a sense that he had his favorites and he wanted to impose a certain more continental style on the team this feels like a good old-fashioned english team going for it knowing what their strengths and weaknesses are and I just I just think Rafa's man you know man management is is superb actually they just look invigorated and not scared not the least bit scared of Old Trafford and icons playing it was like you know they were but for one piece of poor judgment from Mina they would have won the game I can't believe he was offside It was just really really poor judgment
2: Yeah, nor can I, although a lot of people saying that Tom Davis maybe should have shot in that scenario. And uh, Rafa Benitez asked about it as well. Uh, He didn't blame Tom Davis, by the way. But but yeah, you know, a lot of people saying it could have gone either way. You know, why pass to the centre-back when you're a midfielder with a clean shot at goal? But I think he made the right decision. I just think Mina should have stayed on side to be perfectly honest. But there you go, centre-back with with uh, defenders' instincts in the penalty area. Let's call it that. Two words that I think you need to mention about Everton as well. Um, work rate. You know, I just think that has changed dramatically under Rafa Benitez as well. And Gregor. They're doing this all without Richarlison and Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which is a massive positive for them.
3: I think Alison's right. There is something a bit old-fashioned about the way they're playing. It's kind of the, the way the, the marriage of, as I say, that resilience. You know, I think they had... possession against United overall. So like they can hunker down and work hard and look solid and compact and resolute, and then they can break with real pace and purpose like that. But also I think back to the Leeds game, that was like two teams going toe to toe right at it, the two all game. Rafa has this kind of reputation for playing that kind of conservative, fairly safety first football. But I don't think that's really what it's it's looked like so far this season. They have really gone for it and scored, scored 14 goals you know, they look dangerous in attack as well. So, yeah, really hugely positive start for them. It's it's whether they can kind of maintain this level of play right throughout the season, because I think Everton have been accused. They've had periods like this. Under Ancelotti started really well. They have had spells where they have looked really good that this group of players have been accused of having a kind of soft underbelly. I don't know, just not really being able to maintain those standards and levels. So it'd be really interesting to see if Rafa can can change that.
2: Alison, it was interesting that you mentioned as well, Everton had no fear going away to Old Trafford. They didn't mind uh, the fact that they were going to be playing against an icon. But um, you've got to say in the past week, uh, Aston Villa, Villarreal and now Everton held no fear going to Old Trafford whatsoever. Um, This weekend, the icon Cristiano Ronaldo was benched and McTominay started in midfield for Manchester United. Just one question on this. Do you think that was the right call from Ole Gunnar Solskjaer?
0: They didn't win. So most of his calls were probably wrong. But who's to say that if he juggled it about, they might have lost 4-2. I just think this is going to be an impossible job if every decision he makes is, is reinterpreted through the result. You can't. I don't think you can play Ronaldo every minute of every match. Just probably doesn't make any sense, does it? Because of his age and getting used again to the pace of the Premier League, it's it sounds sensible to to rotate. And there are lots of wonderful players in the United team. I mean, I, what I what I find even more staggering is that suddenly Kavani, everyone everyone was raving about Cavani that he brought he brought um, Sort of the the, the art, a special art of being the centre forward. He was teaching the young players how to finish. He was um, selfless, proper team player. Did bring a touch of stardust as well to Old Trafford, and they felt very lucky to have him. You know, his timing was great. He knew how to change a game suddenly him being around is like oh you know what's he doing there with his silly facial hair when you've got lovely Ronaldo to be <laughs> play I mean get a grip this is a, this is a squad game and um on you know before kickoff I didn't I didn't think it was that peculiar at all it's just it's just an easy stick to beat Solskjaer with because they didn't win
2: I actually think Manchester United are harder to beat with Fred and McTominay so I was hoping you were going to say it was absolutely the right decision because I actually think even though they didn't win the game Aston Villa had a lot more joy in attack and Villarreal at Old Trafford than Everton did, even though it finished one all. I actually think Manchester United were more likely to lose the game without Fred and McDomino playing together. That is a conversation that we will have many more times, I believe, before the end of the season. So we're going to move on. We've still got plenty to come on the game podcast. We'll be talking about Leicester City and Crystal Palace next and what's going on at Watford. Stay with us on the game. now just two wins in the premier league this season for leicester city at uh, this weekend they gave away a two goal lead against crystal palace and it seems like there is real work for brendan rogers side to do if they're to avoid a poor season by their recent high standards they've won two drawn two and lost three this season uh, in all competitions following their community shield win they're missing johnny evans at the moment through injury uh, Wilfred Ndidi two James Madison is just out of form and frankly out of the starting eleven as well. Gregor, what do you think is going wrong at Leicester right now? They, they were beaten by Legia Warsaw in the Europa League last week as well. They gave away a two-goal lead against Napoli in that competition earlier this season. It's just been a, a pretty poor start, hasn't it?
3: They look a bit disjointed, It is particularly in defence. You know They've, they've conceded 12 goals in the Premier League. Only three teams have conceded more Leeds, Newcastle and Norwich. And I've looked at Soyuncu from the from the start of the season and he looks he looks really out of sorts. And I think part of that, as you say, is to do with the absence of Evans or Fofana when, you know, Fofana has a big loss as well. guard a new player coming into the club, it's kind of, they'll take some time to form a bit of a, a relationship. But Soyuncu, there've been some individual errors from him for a, a couple of goals, that I can remember. Clearly, you've read the Rodge reference to himself. He's not, they're not finding that balance between between defence and attack, mainly it's 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 in defence, and and I think a lot of individual individual errors have have been the cause. There are players who are, who just don't look like they're quite reaching the same levels as last season too. I don't think Yuri Telemans is playing quite to the same level. Uh, Harvey Barnes is returning from a long term injury. Luke and Bertrand are new players coming into the squad, so there's there's been a bit of change and upheaval as well. But there's no doubt that the biggest issue is they're conceding far too many goals and I really think until they get Evans and Fofana back and Vestergaard's had a little bit of time to to kind of find his feet in this team it's going to be difficult for them.
2: Alison do you think they're going to be a top 16 this season given what you've seen so far?
0: Oh, no I have a theory about this they it was winning the FA Cup what happens when you win a trophy such as the FA Cup I don't know I just felt Brendan Rodgers basked far too heavily in the winning of it and,
1: mm. no he did he
0: did mm. he did a good manager a good manager
2: not sure treats
0: it treats it as irrelevant thinks okay um a bit of romance i've got that for the owners <laughs> this is great but i need to start uh, using using the the f- fating of me because i've done this to my advantage and be ruthless prune the squad demand money um, just invigorate the team, and I feel they've sort of floated on from that basking of winning the cup, and they haven't done that thing that great managers do, which is treat it as almost a bad thing. You sort of, as a manager, you treat it as something that you can't dwell on; that it's irrelevant to the the season ahead. I just, I just don't feel it could have it could have used it the way good managers do. They make unpopular decisions in the wake of glory and he's he's just enjoyed himself too much there's a sense of, <laughs> I just feel there's a, on, sense, of floating. There's a, there's a <laughs> sense of floating through the romance rather than getting down to the nitty-gritty of a um preparing for a a, a successful premier league campaign
3: the thing that strikes me about is you know l- last season there were vi- there i said a lot they were they're really flexible and their approach and the way they play and they against against the bigger teams, they would sit and they could play three at the back. They could, you know, play on the break. They used Vardy really well in that regard and Barnes. And then a lot of games where they would dominate, they would dominate the ball and they would look, you know, and they did have difficulty breaking teams down. But it just seems to be very much disjointed this season. They had forty percent of the ball against Palace against Crystal Palace. And Crystal Palace have changed. We're going to come on to that, but that's not Leicester City anywhere near the peak of their powers, and it's not a game plan, I don't think either. Because the only time they've really done that, the only time Brendan Rodgers is willing to do that, I think, is against the biggest teams, the biggest teams with the, with the most strength, with against City, against Liverpool, against Chelsea. He's not going to Crystal Palace thinking, "Okay, guys, let's sit in and try and play in a break." They scored
2: they, their two goals were gifts as well.
3: Yeah, I mean they do look pretty dysfunctional, but I think a lot of it will will improve when they get when they get some of the injured players back.
2: Just quickly on James Madison, who of course was I guess a key player for Leicester in seasons gone by, and that has sort of dissipated, hasn't it, over the past sort of eighteen months? He's not even a key player from the bench for Leicester City right now. I was amazed that he didn't start against Legia Warsaw in the Europa League. Didn't start this weekend against Crystal Palace. That was more expected. Jonathan Northcroft's given a bit of a stinging assessment in the times. He basically says that James Madison needs to take a leaf out of the book of Jack Grealish and the way that he performed at Aston Villa um, to sort of be the talisman of a club. And James Madison needs to aim for that. Something must have have gone on, though. Something must have gone on.
0: You can't be the talisman if you're not playing. I mean, that's a bit unfair, isn't it?
2: Yeah, I, I mean, Jack I'm, Grealish. I'm, Jack Grealish. I'm, I'm, the team
0: was built around Jack
2: Grealish. <laughs> I'm massively skimming over what's in the article, but um, but essentially, you know, you saw what Jack Grealish did for Aston Villa, put his head down, got to work. I think is is more of the the the, the gist of what what Johnny's going for. There doesn't seem to be that element of application from James Madison. And and the desire to want to be in the team every single week, at least from the outside.
3: I understand what you're saying. There is a kind of question mark over his over the I don't know his commitment at the moment. I think it's easy to kind of make those sweeping generalizations. You know, I think I know he's become a dad recently. You know, you know you never know what's going on in someone's life.
2: You feel uh, his pain.
3: I do at the moment. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> if it's just just sleep alone would make him perform this way. <laughs> but you know, you, you know what I mean. I think there there have been question marks about about that side of James Madison's, his kind of professionalism, shall we say, throughout his career. And then there was a moment where there was he was linked with Arsenal and there were question marks of whether he wanted to, you know, he kind of saw that the grass might be greener somewhere else. It's just been a pretty disrupted phase for him. We know how, how good he is. We know his talents. Um, I, I would fully back him to, to respond. And I think this season as well, I think we'll see the best from James Madison soon.
2: Let's talk about Crystal Palace then and the change under their boss Patrick Vieira since the start of the season. You've got to say this is a week where Palace took two points and they really should have taken six against Brighton where um, they conceded with the virtually the last kick of the game. And this weekend, although they came from two down against Leicester City, they had the majority of possession, as Greg has pointed out, 18 shots as well. They're just simply a more composed, more controlled football team. And I think the Palace fans should be happy. Alison, you saw them against Brighton? What do you make of the difference between Vieira's Palace and Hodgson's?
0: I think the key difference is that Hodgson decided Palace were a team with um, a relatively low budget and it was his job to keep them in the Premier League and by... Um, so so he felt the uh, what he could give to them was good coaching and experience and so if they were well organised and were hard to um breakdown everyone stuck to their roles sort of knew their place almost i would say that they would be safe and i am generalizing here but i think i think that was his approach whereas vier has come in and he's not suddenly got more money but he's taken the view oh i've got quite a lot of young players here that i think are quite good i think i can build um a more optimistic environment I think we can go for it more I don't think we should be scared about relegation I think we should be aiming for something bigger than that and so it's more a changed mindset so I think um, there's more freedom more freedom there and what you get from that is you get a crowd that buy into it more and that feeds the players feed off that and there's a sense of Um, just loving life and going for it. And boy, oh boy, does, is he's good at a substitute, isn't he? Patrick Vieira. They keep coming on and scoring. And, um, for as long as the players buy into it and think it's going in the right direction, they, and they continue to be good to watch, they're going to feel good about themselves and feel they can get, get results against anybody. Um, I wasn't sure at the start because, um, Vieira's, you know, so quietly spoken. And I, I was slightly concerned that you had a sort of um, an intellectual manager used to rarefied levels of football coming into a club with sort of players he would not really have played a lot. Start, you know, he would have played alongside players of a greater calibre, and that it wouldn't it wouldn't work because he doesn't seem to have that sort of passion and loudness, and he just seems he just seemed like it might just all just sort of it would suck through the floor somehow and it wouldn't work but they they've bought into it so i you know, i was wrong i will say i was wrong like we, we, you don't need to be a shouty shouty manager he's clearly quietly telling them you can do this and they're doing it and it is they are more attractive to watch this season i i accept that
3: i think the first thing to say is that all those things Alison said about Hodgson you know what his his approach and mindset and appreciation of the job was were true. <laughs> he had an aging squad. He didn't have much money. Uh, this is this has been a you know I tear it up and let's let's go in a different direction here. And there's a lot of there's been a lot of investment, a lot of young players. Still, the thing that would be really positive about if I was a Palace fan is you still to see the best of Michael Olynyk, who came on and obviously scored a goal, but he's been injured. Uh, he is a huge talent he could be special uh still to see will hughes really come into the team um still to see the best of odds edward although you got off to a great start i still think he'll take some time to acclimatize
2: eberichi Eze is out injured
3: absolutely so th- there is now you look at there's a bit of excitement a bit of youth a bit of energy that's before you mentioned conor gallagher Yuhei who's coming i really like Ty- uh, tyrant mitchell as well he's just He's a little Terrier, <laughs> he's great defensively. <laughs> and he, you know, he did well Pullbacks for- Pullbacks Union. Absolutely, he did well for um <laughs> for Lise's goal, he just skipped, you know, he was positive, got down the line, got the cross in. But on the, the kind of broader picture, Palace have, are basically have 10% more of the ball. It was about 42% last season, it's now uh, north of 50. Play about 90 more passes a game. They've changed and that's, you have to remember, they've played against Chelsea, West Ham, Spurs, Liverpool, Brighton who have a lot of the ball Leicester you would expect to but they didn't let them so you know they've had a pretty tough start as well and you can see the change you can see the change which is the most positive thing yes they're getting if Anderson hadn't made two blunders they would have won this game yesterday so it's not just the fact that we're seeing some decent results I think the main thing is you wanted to see a change of of kind of you know philosophy is one word that people band around but a change in direction and, and style of play and I think Undoubtedly, we're seeing it.
2: We have. I think one thing, though, that the owners of Watford wanted to see was that change in style, that change of play, that development, that positivity, and they've decided they haven't because Watford have sacked their manager, Zisco Munoz, After less than 10 months in charge, his final match was a 1-0 defeat against Leeds on Saturday. Uh, Their goalkeeper, Ben Foster, I think, called it a 1-0 battering. They're 14th in the Premier League, having been, of course, automatically promoted from the Championship last season. And a club statement said, recent performances strongly indicate a negative trend at a time when team cohesion should be visibly improving. Although when I read that statement, I was like, well, they'll they'll say anything. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they've sacked so many managers. It's like, can we get a stop? What, what what haven't we said before in the last 10 years about a managerial sacking? It's their 16th dismissal in the past 10 years, but he had seven points from seven games so far. Do you think this was a fair dismissal, Gregor? I
3: mean, my instinct is no, because he did a, Partly, and I think you should be given some a little bit more grace too for the fact that he did a remarkable job last season, getting them promoted. They had a team that was pretty dull and didn't really look like they looked like because they had a squad that was you know still had a, the leftovers from a lot of, from the Premier League days that they were going to be there and thereabouts, but there was no cohesion, no identity, and he gave them that. I think so. That's the first thing. And as you say, yeah, there there are teams far in far worse positions. The thing that's, that's I found funny is fans don't seem to be that displeased about this. You know, they're, if you're a Watford fan, you must surely become immune to, the, <laughs> to these things as well. So the number of changes, as you say, you must, as a Watford fan, get used to it and think, you know, your bar, the bar becomes lower for what you think a, a change is due. Would you not agree with that?
2: What I would say is I think the Watford fans would firstly say that there is a bit of snobbery involved where when the likes of Chelsea constantly change their manager, you know, we're all excited about the next big name that they're bringing in and the new signings that they're going to make. And the other thing is, I think they would feel the Pozzo family, the owners, have done quite well for the club and where they were when the owners took over, well, they're thinking, well, hold on a minute, we're a Premier League side right now. Seventeen managers in ten years—it's going to be. But that those ten years have included six seasons in the Premier League, an FA Cup final, FA Cup semi-final. Yes, a relegation, but two promotions, a playoff final as well. And I, I've seen Watford fans online saying, for a club of of their size, you know, it, it seems to work for them. So why why constantly complain about it?
3: Absolutely, people say that this this is their plan, and that that's that's fair enough. But well, I just personally I look at it from two positions one is that if, if I was in the dressing room and you know they're, they're talking about team cohesion I mean good luck really good luck if there's this many changes in the dugout and it be, becomes quite tiring I think but the other thing is you look at you know Claudio Ranieri has been spoken about who might be, who might come in and replace him if you're talking about style of play if you're talking about Palace have just gone in a direction they think we're going to Go and Patrick Vieira is going to change the way we play, and we'll sign players to back that up. There's none of that, at Watford. They they go off and they have a scouting network and they sign players and they do do it pretty well. But if if you want, if you really want cohesion, then I think in in a healthy football club, the manager has a has a role in that, and the manager should reflect the players, or the other way around. And there's no way when you go through <laughs> how many you say 16 or 17 managers in a decade that you can pick someone. Who, who replicates or who fits in with this the the players they have and the style of play that they want.
2: But you've got to remember, Claudio Ranieri takes all his players out for pizza. So team cohesion can be built in other ways other than the training ground, Gregor. You've got to keep that in mind as well. Uh, Alison, what do you think of all of this? Tiring, isn't it?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I was watching the, um, I think, yeah, Saturday night. So I was watching Leeds 1 Watford nil, and I turned to my son on oh, match the day I was watching it and I turned to my son and said, oh, he'll be, um, he'll be sacked before Christmas. And now I just feel really stupid. Why, I, <laughs> why did I, why did I say Christmas? What was I thinking? You know, <laughs> I haven't, got, I really haven't got to grips with football at all. I should be sacked for saying that. <laughs> clearly, clearly that defeat warranted uh, an instant dismissal. I, I get your point Hugh. about there's a degree of uh, snobbery involved and, but it, there is a difference. The way that Chelsea do it, it is different. It's it's about only you know elite attainment is good enough. What's going on at Watford is is more I don't know misplaced view that they've found some magic model and they realise that you can dispense with managers very quickly and that you get a new manager bounce and they love the new manager bounce and they think the new manager bounce is enough to keep them bobbing along most of the time in the Premier League. If not, they'll come straight back up with a bit of a bounce. It's uh, we, We've called it in the paper the managerial carousel, but it's it's badong badong, isn't it? It's 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 sort of ludicrous, but <laughs> if, if, if they feel as a model, as a model it works for what they want. I don't believe the stuff about Cohesion and style, I believe they think I believe they think the minute they get They don't really post, have one, that's why. Yeah, but if they get a sniff of there being player dissent or they don't like um the the post-match press conference the manager gives, if they just feel there's a staleness there, even for like 10 minutes, their knee-jerk reaction is oh, if we change it, we'll get a fantastic new manager balance, it'll be great. And everyone will forget about cisco it won't matter so that's that's what they've got and to some degree that's what that is what happens we won't be having this conversation in two weeks time we'll be talking about how hilarious the latest ranieri press conference was and how he's replaced dilly ding dilly dong with woohoo we hippie or something i mean that's what (laughs) will that's what will happen we we will move on and they know we will move on and the players will move on and the fans will move on the media moves on everyone moves on so they're quite prepared to ride this sniffy um, oh, aren't they ridiculous! Narrative that it does really will only last for about forty-eight hours.
3: To be fair, I'm right, I'm right behind the idea that clubs should have a structure in place that, and that the you know it's outdated that a manager comes in and brings in his whole staff, and you know it you have to tear it all up again. That's there's more upheaval. I'm right behind that, but they're taking it to a whole new. You know extremes. Another one from Bill in in the, the game today that Watford have been responsible for half of the past eight mid-season sackings of Premier League managers while they've been in the Premier League. It's like, as you say, it's you know I think the fans at this stage are getting quite defensive about it. They think it works and this this is a a successful period in in the club's history. So fair fair enough, but I don't know. I, I like those old-fashioned things are like connection and <laughs> a bit of longevity. Uh, I did as a player and I think I would as a fan too. So I think they're missing something.
2: When you look at Norwich City's model, you think this is probably more conducive though to staying in the Premier League. Try, at least try and give yourself a bit of a bounce in the dugout. So look, uh, best of luck to Watford and their fans and Claudio Ranieri who, Alison, you're right, is is soon to be entertaining us in this press conference Once again, a Premier League winning manager, no doubt. Uh, no less, in the dugout at Watford. Alison Rudd, Gregor Robertson, thank you both for being with me and thank you to Paul uh, Hurst once again as well. And thank you to all of you for listening. Uh, We will be back on Thursday. It's the international break, of course, but I think we'll finally get around to looking at a couple of Premier League teams that we've needed to uh, for the past few weeks as well. So stay tuned for that. Make sure you're subscribed and make sure you're subscribed to the Times and the Sunday Times as well. If you sign up today, remember you will get yourself one month free. just go online, search thetimes.co.uk, forward slash the game.
4: Small details are big surfaces? Tight corners or odd shapes? Flat, rounded, textured or tall? Whatever your next project...